Hello and welcome to Season 2, Episode 25 of Logicast, the AWS News Podcast brought to you by Logicata. I'm Carl Robinson, CEO and co-founder of Logicata, and I'm joined, uh, as always, by my colleague, John, as always. Good all. How are you doing today, John? You really need to work on that. You can't do, as always, John, as always. It's joined by John, as always, or as always, John. You, you, one or the other. Come on. I want to get more, as always, into that opening uh, sentence. I'm going to have to try and figure out ways to do that. Uh, but uh, not as always. We're joined by a very special guest today, uh, Martin Kilbride from D55. How are you doing, Martin? Yeah, I'm good. Thank you. Um, tell us a little bit about yourself, Martin, what you do, who you do it for, etc. Yeah, so I'm uh, I'm a principal software architect at um, a company called D55. We're a um, consultancy based in Manchester, although I work remotely, as you can probably tell. Um, but yeah, I've been two years now. I've been working with AWS, of community builder, ambassador, and things like that. Just been getting more and more involved in the uh, community, really. Very nice. And I think we did actually meet face to face at the. Um recent AWS summit in London because you guys were on the community booth as well. Yes. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Excellent. All right. Well, um, as you know, if you listen to the podcast before, uh, every week I collate a uh, list of AWS news articles in my weekly AWS news roundup. And then John and I pick a subset of those articles that we want to talk about on the podcast in more detail. So we've got uh, such a list of articles this week. And the first one is from the AWS training and certification blog. And it's just a bunch of updates um, from the AWS certification and training team about what's going on in the world of AWS certification. Um, so, uh, John, what do you uh, what are your highlights from this one? Well, we touched on this last week because there was an article there about the changes to the cloud practitioner exam. There's a little bit of that in here, but we're not going to go into that because we went over that kind of ad nauseum last week. Um, couple of things that are interesting. There's some more security work in here, and there's a new um, certified security specialty uh, practice exam to go along with the updated security specialty exam, which goes online in about a week. Uh, so that's interesting. There's some new labs in there. There's a CloudQuest tournament in there, which I have no idea how that would even work. Leaderboard or something. Feels game day-ish, but remote. Um, well, uh, Martin, you guys are uh, big game day uh, I, I think you gave me one of your stickers at the uh, uh, at the recent summit, but you, you're big game day guys at D55, is that right? Yeah, yeah. So we've um, we've done a few now. We we, we took part in the um, the I think it was the partner league, is what they call it. So you might have had them. Like the first one we did was about a year ago, but then we did the the kind of world championship, which is what this trophy is. Um, nice. But yeah, I don't think the Cloud Quest tournament comes close to that from what i can tell have you tried cloud quest yourselves i did uh, briefly have a, a very quick go and i just thought i think i'm too old for this i'm not <laughs> i'm not the target demographic <laughs> yeah it's it's interesting that the actual game is isn't the best like it's not really a game in that sense but the labs that are in there are really good for learning aws so if somebody's new to the cloud, it's actually a good way to get a load of experience with things like, you know, ML and so on. Because you can go and do the ML cloud quest if you pay for it. Um, it's just you've got this weird game around the edges, which is a little bit weird. Um, I think the tournament is just them labs, but you can you get a leaderboard for how quick you do them. And so you can basically get four of you together or something and try and 
beat them. But the problem is these labs, you just copy paste. It's kind of a, you know, paint by numbers. So it's, it's not really problem solving. It's more just let's try and figure this out together. So a bit more team building, maybe I don't know. I'm not sure. Yeah, I think I, I don't think I even got as far as any of the labs. I think I was just kind of surfing around a virtual world or skateboarding <laughs> or something like that. And I just thought, yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure why this is necessary, really. But uh, I mean, you need to I do think... it to find a gorilla or a, a giraffe in there. Apparently, yeah. you get pets when you like win certain labs or something. It's it's a not little unicorn. bizarre. No, no not... unicorns. That's the weirdest oh. thing. <laughs> <laughs> So are you guys using the uh, using this D fifty five or? A few of us have. We've not given it access to everyone. It's not like something we've bought as a team because it's actually, I think it's relatively expensive. Although I suppose based on the, you know, if people want to learn, it's probably not too bad. It's just um, a few of us have done it just to have interest. Like a few of the guys who were quite new to AWS, um, bought it, tried it because you get like a trial every now and again. And someone's finished all the cloud quests and so on. So it is; it can be quite good for the lab side, definitely. Because um, I think they're expanding it out as well, aren't they? Because it, it, when it first launched, it was only really cloud practitioner, but I think they're actually um, including more kind of higher level content in there as well now around Solutions Architect Associate. Yeah, I noticed that they've got practice exams <laughs> back in there again and things like that as well. I think that's even one of the things they've added is the security one. Because, yeah, it was a little bit, I don't know, out of date last time I probably used it. It just didn't really feel that useful, but it definitely seems to be getting a lot better. You tried it, John? No. I mean, it's, it's not an age thing per se, but I mean, I have two issues. One, I'm a gamer anyway. So having a NAF game wrapped around some training is just going to distract me because like, I, everything I play, I complain about them being no good because EA are terrible. But that's just going to be annoying. And then on the other side, as I think I said last week, um, I kind of resonate more with the the slide lectures and the workshops and what have you, because it feels more like university did to me. So that's just kind of the brain goes, oh, yeah, I know what I'm doing here, ticks into that learning mode. Whereas this, I just sort of surf around and go, whatever. Yeah, I mean, it's not the best for, they've got a bit where you get to shoot these drones um, but it's running in your browser, so your mouse is not very sensitive. And so it's really difficult, and it's very unsatisfying. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but the idea is you collect these like cards or something, and you can build architectures. I don't know. It's it's sort of on the edge of what's trying to be good. But, yeah, just the content's fine, but I don't really like the game. <laughs> Well, there's some good feedback for the uh, AWS training certification team there then. They need to uh, up their game on the game, uh, as it were. So, uh, I wonder if they put it in Lumberyard. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> Probably, yeah. You've got to eat your own dog food. Um, so, uh, yeah. Is, was there anything else on this uh, on this article that you thought was, uh, was interesting? Uh, just some more specifics around um, specific courses in Skill Builder. So OpenSearch and Prometheus as well, and then a sustainability transformation. Um, course which is you know it's worth looking into cool all right let's skip along to our second article this week then which is about testing aws lambda functions with aws sam remote invoke um i, I always pick these ones out about testing lambda functions because i know it's the bane of your life at the moment john um <laughs> and uh, also uh, i was just having a little chat with martin before you arrived and uh, he's 
currently in the process of writing a course about Lambda, so I'm sure uh, I'm sure you've both got some things to say uh, about this particular article. Um, so, uh, how does this fit in with what you're doing at the moment, John, in terms of testing the Lambda functions that you're writing? Well, I mean, not massively, because a lot of the work that I'm doing, it doesn't matter what the event payload looks like, because it's all event bridge driven. So the payload just kind of gets dumped because we we don't care about it. Um, so not massively. And then a lot of the testing that I'm doing for work that we do is kind of local unit test based and then a little bit of remote using the AWS toolkit in um, Visual Studio, in JetBrains and whatever. Um, this seems to kind of just wrap that up a little bit. I didn't get enough time to read this properly. Um, but it, it's, it's an interesting one because Sam local invoke has been a thing and that's been kind of mocking it on your, on your machine and running it on your machine. Um, but not quite because it's running on your machine in a container, but then all the permissions are just kind of there. It's just kind of in admin and all the rest of it. Whereas this is doing a direct invocation with a SAM wrapper as opposed to um, just calling the Lambda directly with the Lambda command on the CLI. So it, it's it, I'm not really sure where this fits, to be honest. What do you think, Martin? You see where it fits in in your workflow? I was nodding because I kind of agree. Like, I, so I don't generally use SAM. We use CDK most of the time if we can. Um, but we have had a couple of clients who use SAM, so at the moment we are using it a little bit. My main thing, well, first is yes, you could you could do this anyway using the CLI, but obviously they're just trying to make it a little bit simpler. And their example they give is where you're running. To kind of sam accelerate so it's auto deploying and then in the in another tab you're running this to test your lambda but my main thing with it is that i don't really test in a lambda on its own it's an event driven architecture so testing a lambda on its own isn't actually that useful i prefer to test the actual flow um so yes you will obviously test one particular lambda as you build it so it's kind of useful but you know Generally, I don't spend that much time remote invoking or invoking in the console a particular Lambda and more test that, yeah, some sort of process goes end to end. It ends up in that queue or it ends up in that bucket. So I can see where it's useful to invoke a Lambda. Not quite sure why that needs to be, have another way of doing that. Um, Maybe it makes it a bit quicker for people because you don't have to faff around with two different CLI tools. I think it feels like a convenience tool yeah, yeah. more than anything else because, you know, you can do all of this just with uh, the normal AWS CLI, but you can kind of deploy your Lambdas with the normal AWS CLI, but you use Lambda because that's not a fun time because right? Sam will do all the packaging and the building and zipping the uploading and, and all that jazz, so you kind of don't have to. And in the same way that you could go off and find the IRN of the Lambda and work out a craft format for it and so on this is just remote evoke name of it in my template run so it feels like a convenience tool yeah yeah and i can see that i can definitely see if you want to if you're working in the sam ecosystem and you're writing a lambda and want to quickly test it then yeah, yeah this seems to be i guess a bit of a natural extension for doing that um over and above maybe logging into the console and doing it manually because you know you shouldn't really be in the console i guess um Should we have a quick chat, Sam versus CDK? Because I know, John, you're a, a Sam Sam Squirrel fan. And uh, <laughs> Martin, it sounds like you're a CDK fan. What's the... Should we delve into that a little bit? 
Well, I mean, they've got a squirrel. We don't have any animal <laughs> of any type. So, I mean, that wins. Um, <laughs> I think, I think it's, it's, <laughs> it's an interesting one because in a personal project, which I eventually will blog about, I've been using the CDK in Python and I just... It, I can see the logic behind it, but I think I spent so much time in the YAML-based tooling that it's just kind of what my brain does because it's what I'm used to. Yeah, I mean, I started on AWS doing CloudFormation and just so fiddly working with the YAML and CloudFormation directly that I was just looking for any way out and CDK came along and I was like, oh, this is great. And we just went straight into CDK. And because we're doing, we're doing TypeScript anyway, so TypeScript lambdas, TypeScript, CDK, it all just ends up, <clears throat> excuse me, that you just create this one single application and everything's working fine. I don't really see the point of CDK, like unit tests and things don't really add that much for me because I don't have a lot of logic in the CDK, but I prefer the way that you can, I guess, program at heart style way where you can set up the code of your CDK to sort of, yeah, separate things into different classes as such. Whereas with Sam, when I've used it, it's back to YAML and DevOps, more DevOps style. So you can definitely do a lot more in, with less. So it's great for building um, things quickly and smaller, but I've not, if I was picking something, I'd generally go with CDK mainly because I'm used to it. Though. I think that's the thing. People yeah. just kind of pick what they use because that's what they've always used. Mm. My background is DevOps, so it's been YAML, yeah. JSON, Terraform, all that kind of. So it's just kind of where I sit. Yeah, yeah, definitely. If you yeah, if you DevOps background, I imagine it's probably one of the best to go with. Um, but if you're a programmer by heart, maybe CDK is probably where you'd go because it just feels more comfortable. The irony, of course, being that the CDK and Sam all boil down to native cloud formation. Anyway. Yeah, I know. And it's incredibly slow. That's the problem. <laughs> <laughs> like, they need to crack that. Like, I don't want to have to make a small change and then wait for this whole thing to build and deploy in cloud formation to take its time. Um, yeah, that is a bit of a shame. It's, it's turning into a bit of a wildlife episode, this one. We normally have cat, cats and dogs, but so far we've had gorillas, unicorns, and squirrels. So uh, let's see if we can get any other uh, any other wildlife in before the, before the end of the episode. Um, so uh, anyway, moving on from uh, testing Lambda functions. Um, the next article uh, is uh, from uh, AWS hero Renato Lozio on InfoQ. Um, and it's an article about a new feature uh, where Amazon SQS uh, is supporting reprocessing messages from the dead letter queue. Um, so we should probably start with a bit of a definition there, John, um, on the dead letter queue, um, and then uh, talk about what this uh, what this new feature brings. You mean that wasn't in your uh, fabled SA uh, uh, Pro exam? <laughs> Yeah, it was, but uh, people would rather hear it from you because uh, you, you can probably remember and I can't. <laughs> All righty. So SQS queuing service, um, when you are running event-driven architectures through processors, lambdas, EC2, whatever, and you have a failure, you want to put that message somewhere so it doesn't clog your queue up, doesn't get dropped, doesn't get lost, doesn't cause you problems. Right? Typically, you use SQS dead letter queue it's not a specific type of queue it's just named differently because you can kind of subscribe anything to it typically what you find in these architectures is it's uh, a lambda being driven by an sqs queue and if it fails to process a message x number of times five being the default it dumps it out onto the S onto the dead letter queue 
You can do that directly from Lambda as well. So if you're triggering Lambda from SNS or from an S3 notification or whatever, you can dump out to a dead letter queue if that fails X number of times. Cool. They're not historically any different from a normal queue. You've just called them dead letter. And the idea being that any messages that caused failures or, or weren't processed for one reason or another end up on that queue. And then you put some sort of monitoring and alerting on the queue to work out if something's hit it. So you can go and look at the message and kind of work out what's failing and all that kind of thing. Right, definition over. What this is doing is it's adding um, basically a way of demarcating it, demarcating it as a dead letter queue. So you can say, process back through the main um, application that it was trying to be processed through without you having to manually kind of re-tick it through. That's useful for a couple of scenarios, but the chief one that comes to mind is throttling errors. Because if it's gone into the DLQ because of a throttling error, then there's nothing wrong with the message particularly. It just didn't have the capacity to process it, so it dumped it out so it wouldn't lose it. By saying, this is your redrive policy and going, back into the main uh, application, it will just process eventually, which is kind of what you want it to do because queues are a way of decoupling applications and making them asynchronous and kind of all that good stuff. It's a bit of a funny one because, yeah, you could kind of hack this anyway by having your dead letter queue with an enormous message timeout and then a really big message delay, but eventually you just kind of start looping around onto yourself. And you never really get anywhere. This is this is a bit better because it makes it a bit obvious that this is a dead letter queue rather than just a queue being used for dead letters. Yeah, I was looking at when I was looking through it. I was thinking my main thought was why why is this not been there the whole time? <laughs> because dead letter queues are, you know, they're pushed. They're really pushed by AWS. Um, as a thing you should do. And obviously they're a first class citizen when it comes to things like Lambda and SQS have the options to automatically do that. But like you say, they were just a queue. And it was always felt like a lot of the documentation says you really need to make sure you have a dead letter queue. Make sure your poison pill message goes into that dead letter queue. Make sure you do it. And then you're like, what do I do with the dead letter queue? Uh, alerting. Right. Great. Okay, that's that's perfect. So I've got this really swish application processing millions of messages. And if something goes wrong, just push it over there and then somebody will deal with it. Um, that's not really a solution um, unless you're getting one a week or one every three weeks. So like with this, yeah, my my thoughts were the same as you. It things like um, if it's failing because of a timeout or it's failing because of something temporary, that's great. You just have maybe a... Um, a step function or some sort of flow which can like make a decision and then push it back in. If it's failing because of a code change that you just pushed up, great, you can roll back and rerun it. Um, that would be perfect because suddenly all the messages now can can actually happen. If it's a one particular message that's failed though and you've got a redrive mechanism, it's just going to keep pushing it back in and that poison pill is just going to keep going around and around and around. So I'm not quite sure are you just pushing that problem one step further um, in that scenario? Maybe. I think it's just showing that the majority of things that are failing are not message-based. Yes. Otherwise, why would they have done this? It's not the message, because, yeah, poison pill messages are a thing, but most architectures that I've worked on and built, queues are going between internal services very hard to put something malicious on said queue. So it's it's more around a concurrency or a, a temporary issue. 
Uh, as you say, you could drive your DOQ into a step function to then inspect the message a lot more closely and work out, you know, why did this error? Is there a problem with it? Is it meeting my um, standards and what have you? And then reprocess it. Um, but you could have done that anyway. So I guess what this is doing is it's just cutting out that, well, let's just assume it's an okay message and just run it back around again. Hmm. But then who's, I guess, what is going to run the the actual redrive? It's not automatic redrive, is it? Unless I've... Well, you know, it is because in the uh, configuration of the DLQ, you can specify either back to the original application, back to the original queue, or to another queue to go and do something more intelligent with them. Okay. Um, so it's just kind of, I think, marking it as a dead letter queue rather than just a another queue. Yeah, I mean, it's. I think it's a really good thing that they've released it. Like I say, I'm not quite sure why it wasn't there earlier, really, because, yeah, these are now most stuff in AWS is event-driven as much as possible. Well, I'll say most stuff. Most stuff is probably on EC2s and not event-driven, but <laughs> 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 most stuff should be event-driven, let's say. So, yeah, it's. Um, I'm surprised they've not needed it because they use SQS a lot on, uh, you know, on the Amazon services themselves. Um, well, we have it now, uh, so that's great. Big thumbs up for that. Um, so let's move uh, swiftly on then to our next article, um, which is all about uh, security and privacy inside the world's largest cloud provider, um, which is, of course, AWS. Um, slight, uh, <laughs> Alibaba, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Actually, uh, yeah, they don't include them in the stats. But, um, yeah, I don't know. I, I've been reading a few articles this week about uh, – did you see that the um, Microsoft Azure uh, revenue stats got leaked and uh, uh, it's not quite as big as uh, perhaps Microsoft might have liked us to think? Um, well, they've always been a bit naughty because they put the 0365 numbers in with the Azure stats. Yes, exactly. They don't break it out, uh, whereas uh, uh, AWS and Google break it out. So it's always been very hard to compare. But, um, yeah, some, some revenue stats were leaked, uh, which show that... Um, that Azure is about half the size of uh, of AWS, not like seven percentage points behind, which is uh, where most analysts were kind of uh, pegging it um, prior to those uh, stats being leaked. Anyway, uh, we're not here to talk about that. We're here to talk about uh, security and privacy inside the world's largest cloud provider, uh, which is AWS. So um, what do you got to say about this, John? Oh, they went about AI, didn't they? Of course they did. They had to. Had to be done. There was uh, there's never any risk of them not talking about AI in this sort of article. Well, we've managed to get uh, 22 minutes into the episode without <laughs> mentioning AI, but uh, I think it's going to be AI all the way until I hit the stop button now, isn't it? So, uh, yeah. <laughs> oh, dear. So, yeah, there's a bit of that. They talk about Cedar a little bit, which is fun because it's just another way of doing policy as code that isn't JSON and YAML, which is, you know, fine. It's just another language that you've got to learn at the end of the day. Uh, and then they've gone and open sourced it and, and what have you. So that's fine because it's more human readable than JSON is because JSON is technically human readable, but only if you're a programmer because, you know, you show that to a normal person, they're going to go, what the hell is this? Because it's, it's not the nicest thing to look at. And then they talk about, you know, sort of the fundamentals of security and, and they talk about CEDA some more and then they start banging on about customers and privacy and all the rest of it, which is kind of what you'd expect. And then there's a little bit that's worth mentioning because they talk about um, the EC2 instance connect endpoints and how that that kind of locks down some windows and things that you could potentially exploit because then there's no uh, SSH tunnels or anything open, which is great, which we like, which we started using. Uh, and then, you know, 
which are on about cryptography and all that kind of thing. It just gets very um, long-winded and a bit dull towards the end of it. And then there's an advert for some cloud firewalls. The um, Yeah, one of the things that I actually, apart from the few you mentioned, right at the end, they go in a bit, little bit about what AWS, as in people who work for AWS, can see in your cloud, which I'm always really interested in because, you know, we have um, quite a lot of dealings with AWS where, they basically say to us, what's this client using? And I'm like, how don't you know this? But it's because they you know, they shouldn't know what's running in that cloud more than, well, what they say is DNS lookups and basically billing information. So they can sort of see high level stuff, but that's it. And they, they actually mention about like if the government comes and knocks on their door and says, can we have the data? And they say, we can't give you the data. There's just no way for us to do that. Um. Apart from they mentioned a little bit about RDS, which jumped out at me, where they say because it's not built for the cloud, a lot of these, not RDS specifically, but obviously things like Microsoft SQL Server and st stuff like that, they their engineers can remote as root onto them servers to do maintenance to make sure that the SLA is high. So technically, they can do a select all and start looking at that data. And that's one of the things that they want to fix or you know try and get rid of. Um, but it does make you wonder, there's a lot of people at AWS. Like, how do they know, how do they audit that that sort of stuff isn't happening? So they would send they're going to build in some new features so that they'll basically say to the customer, we need to do this and you okay it and try and build in all that kind of auditing. But that says that it's not there right now. Yeah, it's an, it's an interesting point, isn't it? It uh, reminds me of the whole uh, WhatsApp, Facebook, Facebook meta discussion bit, around yeah. uh, what can they say? We, we can't see any of your data. It's all encrypted. But uh, if somebody, you know, <laughs> if law enforcement asks us to show it, then we'll show it to them. Uh, but uh, <laughs> which is what drove this sort of uh, mass migration away from, uh, from WhatsApp, wasn't it? So, well, it yeah. was less that. And it was more that they were going to colo the WhatsApp servers onto Facebook kit. And then they realized that they couldn't actually do that in the EU because of GDPR. So WhatsApp in the in the EU is still fine because, you know, Zuck can't get his hands on it. But yeah, in the States, don't use it. Speaking of Zuck, do you think this fight's going to happen? <laughs> <laughs> Between God, him and Elon? So. I really <laughs> hope so. I mean, I would hope so, yeah, but there's no way. Elon says a lot of stuff. <laughs> It'll be funny because Elon's got about I don't know forty pounds and three four inches of reach on on Zuckerberg, but Zuckerberg's a black belt in Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. <laughs> yeah, like, <laughs> just destroy him. Elon is is a bit yeah he's, he's he says a lot, but I can't see him following through with that. It's a sort of like if Trump said, "Oh yeah, I want to I want to I want to join him in this fight," and you kind of like, yeah, you, you right then. yeah. <laughs> It would uh, it would attract uh, quite a, quite an audience though, wouldn't it? If it did go ahead, well, so, it might be able to make Twitter profitable if he just you know, <laughs> charges yeah. per view. Like. Yeah, pay per view on Twitter only. Yeah. I don't know. Is he trying to do that anyway? Well, yeah, six thousand yeah. tweets a day. Okay, never using Twitter again. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, let's move uh, on to the last article this week then. This is a, a new service announced by AWS last week called App Fabric, um, which uh, we, we had a little chat in the preamble. We're not quite sure what it is, uh, but uh, the good news is it's going to use AI. So uh, isn't, it, isn't it wonderful? Uh, <laughs> if it uses AI, got to be good. 
Um, so, uh, yeah, AWS have announced this new service, App Fabric, last week, uh, which allows you to connect uh, various SaaS applications together. Uh, there's not many at the moment, um, but uh, some pretty big ones Asana, Jira, Dropbox, uh, Okta, Slack. Um, Zendesk, Zoom, Google Workspace, Microsoft 365. So quite a lot of the big ones that, uh, that everybody is using. Um, but uh, why would you want to connect them together? What, and what, what benefits is, is this going to bring to, to users, do we think? Well, I'm looking at the documentation. I'm trying to find a specific use case. So for Jira, let's say it, it's, it sort of says in there that you can receive audit logs and user data from the Jira suite normalize it into the open cybersecurity format and output it into S3. That that does that basically says that it's just for running security tooling across your Jira. And I think and I clicked for a few of the others on there like Dropbox. It's like, yeah, you can get your audit data into open cybersecurity schema framework. You can get this. And I'm like, okay, so what you've done is just built 10 integrations that can take data and turn it into one format. And stick it into mm. S3 or into Kinesis. That doesn't sound like what the marketing material is, which says it connects your applications together in minutes and reduces operational costs and all this kind of stuff. I think it's coming because if you if you scroll through it, there's a whole thing on productivity features powered by Bedrock. Okay, more AI, cool. Um, so you can you know get answers quickly and automate task management and all that jazz that people have been promising for forty years and it just hasn't come out yet. So I don't know maybe AWS will crack it. Uh, yeah, I mean I can, I can see once you've got the data, then you can potentially start to do stuff with it. I think it's it's well then they've launched the product and they're saying what it can do, but actually it's quite limited at the moment. Um, but give it time, maybe. Um, I personally can't see a use for it at the moment. But maybe you've got some security tooling that doesn't integrate into Jira, but you want to run security tooling across Jira. Not sure. I think it it feels very audity at the moment. It feels very I want to get my audit logs out out of Jira, out of this, out of that, out of these supported tools, so that I can um, run Athena queries. Because if you dump it into S three, you can then query it with Athena. Cool. So you can start looking at users that are doing things and start to perform analysis and see where your pain points are, see where your security holes might be and all that kind of thing. Um, but it's also compatible with sending that data out to other security tools, so Logs.io, Splunk, if you don't like having money and you use Splunk, and a couple of others. Um, so it's at the minute, it feels security audit focused and that more is possibly coming. Well, watch this space, I guess. Um, we'll bring you more uh, as we get it. But uh, that brings us neatly to the end of our time uh, this week for Logicast Season 2, Episode 25. So thank you very much for listening. Um, uh, thanks, John, for your insights. And thanks uh, again to our special guest, Martin, uh, for your insights as well. Um, you can find us um, on all major podcast distribution channels in both video and audio format. So uh, thanks for listening. Uh, we'll be back again next week with another episode of Logicast. See you again next time. <laughs>